everyone, welcome back to the Rockcast brought to you by Onyx Hunt Maps. Jordan here, and uh, today's guest is Tom Solos with Mountain Man Adventures and Compass Mountain Outfitters in BC. And uh, yeah, Tom's been a friend of mine for the last five, six years. And uh, yeah, I've done a couple bear hunts with him, which we'll recap a little bit in this episode. But I just wanted to have him on to uh, talk about, you know, guiding in general as a client, what you should expect or more so like kind of what he expects of you and kind of the give and take there. And then, of course, going into some some gear things. So we are going to dive into that episode right now. Sweet. Well, let's just dive into it. So I know Tom from hunting in Alberta. What we went two years, I think. Yeah, I think it was two years in a row there with uh, when you're working for Best of the West. Best of the West, yeah. So I went there and then that sheep hunt that I filmed for Best of the West too, you were up there just on another hunt doing um, stone sheep. Yeah, yeah, it was guiding for McMillan River there um, while you guys were up with a different guide. Yeah, yep. And so like things have taken, I mean, a little bit of a turn, you know, things change. Gosh, that was probably five years ago, I would imagine, four or five years. At least. Yeah. 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 So things have changed a little bit since then, but you want to just give people like a rundown of where you're located, what you do and kind of started doing and then where you guys are at now with Compass Mountain. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I got into the outfitting game. I obviously started as a guide and tried to do a little bit on the videography and stuff like that. Just trying to get in an industry off of pure passion for the outdoors and and all that, but uh, got into guiding about, I'd say just, yeah, over 20 years ago now. And then I've been outfitting for about 15 years on the Alberta side under what's called Mountain Man Adventures. I uh, did some elk but prim- and bear, stuff like that, but primarily moose. And uh, yeah, I've been kind of searching for a, a bigger outfit as that was, you know, good enough for me, but not really big enough to look at you know, possibly retiring and, and, and stuff like that, or having a family with and all that fun stuff. So, uh, I've been working for the, the outfitter across the way from me, right across the BC border and became quite, uh, good friends with him. His name was Aaron Fredland. And, uh, yeah, we just kind of started talking and an opportunity came to, to, uh, purchase that, which was perfect because it was right across the border from myself. So it kind of almost joined the areas and, so I got uh, a couple of business partners on the BC side, one named, named Cassidy Kiron. We were, we were um, looking for, uh, for an area for quite a while. We'd guided together a fair bit. And then another of my top guides that worked for me for years, uh, Brett Waller. So we partnered up and, and, uh, and bought that area. So we kind of run them together. I still own Mountain Mountain Adventures and run the Alberta side, just strictly for moose now and a little bit of cougar hunts. And then the BC side, just opened up the variety from moose, elk, bear, deer, uh, bighorn sheep, mountain goat, you know, uh, cougar, lynx, all sorts of predator hunts, wolf hunts, you know, and then, and fishing and just cabin rentals and uh, horseback trips. Like we have a wide variety of outdoor adventures now and it, it just makes our, extends our year, which is really important in this industry. Yeah, for sure. And then on the Alberta side with your moose hunts, um, I remember like us talking before, it's such a good like value for a moose hunt. Some of the reason is you guys don't have to fly in. So it helps cut some of the cost. Yeah. And I mean, that's actually true for the BC side too, obviously, um, you know, either way, you just got to get to Grand Prairie, um, which is, it's got a good airport or pretty easy to drive to. And 
no matter which side we're going, all our camps are within about, you know, like our main lodge and our main camps are within an hour and a half drive or so from right from Grand Prairie. So it's really nice. Guys can get here a little bit early, like a day early and get a hotel and kind of acclimatize and make sure they're here because we all know that problems can happen on travel, especially when flying. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in today's world, things can get held up. So I always try to recommend guys get in maybe a little bit early and and kind of just get used to it. And then if they, you know, they got to pick something up last minute, they can or whatever. And, and what it does is I can pick them up the next day early and we can usually get like a bonus half a day of hunting or afternoon or something. And, um, and the more time you spend in the woods, the better, right? Just increases your odds that little bit. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially with like, if you have, I don't know what you sell those as, but if you have like a lot of those uh, backcountry like, you know, remote fly-in trips or 10 days, and you might be in in the tent or just sitting like waiting to fly out for five of those days. Yeah, well, and that's that's the biggest problem with that. And, you know, like we talked about the cost of that alone. The RBC side, depending on the hunt, you know, we have such a variety, like I said earlier, that we can kind of adapt and and personalize the hunts. I feel a little bit more, but even if a guy wanted a horseback hunt where there's a little more overhead, you know, we have we have cabins set that we we ride two or and uh, we just we have beautiful camps so and it seems like even if we do get a couple days you're never stuck you know for for like a week straight <laughs> like I, you know i used to guide those sheep hunts and sometimes you'd be four or five days in a row in your tent and on a 10-day hunt so we're able to run a little bit shorter hunts if you guys want again we can do whatever um and kind of adapt it but we tend to run our moose hunts a little bit like eight days instead of ten because we know that people uh people have you know their travel days and stuff like and uh you know in particular working class people that aren't retired yet don't quite have the time to be away from work and their families for you know 14 days instead you know you can get it down to 10 days total trip kind of thing instead of instead of 12 or 14 days total trip which is a, a big deal yeah yeah absolutely it is so i what i wanted to dig into was uh like you've you've guided a lot of sheep hunts and you guys are doing mountain hunts with Compass Mountain. And those are more of adventure style hunts. And where I think that comes in is like gear wise, you need to be a little bit more dialed and mentally too. And physically, you need to be a little bit more dialed for those hunts than a lot of other ones. Cause you might be, I mean, some of those I don't know, McMillan's hunts, they were all 10 days, I think for sheep, weren't they? Uh, yeah. The ones I got it were even 20. Oh, really? You know, yeah. book for 20. I've booked them up to like, you know, with, with what you kind of uh, alluded to there on, on getting stuck. I've been stuck up there for, you know, 24 days one time, just waiting for, for the weather to clear so we could get flown out. You know, um, it's, a, it's a long haul. I mean, you're looking at almost a month. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you go from, I mean, just, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the clients that are like going on these hunts, they, you know, they might have done like some elk hunts or some deer hunts to like four or five days, but you start talking two weeks of like full on living out of your backpack, like can be quite an adjustment. And I think mentally probably more than even physically sometimes. Uh, so I wanted to dive into some of that stuff, like some of these more extreme hunts and things that go along with it. And just, I don't know, we talked about mentality a little bit and I just did like a little episode last week on like mentality. And that's for, you know, that was for like deer and turkey hunts, let alone some of these really extreme ones that can be 
just like the weather can kick your ass and then you just you're tired and your backpack's super heavy and you're probably hungry and yeah I don't know just so many things to go along with it I think that uh we can talk about maybe what it's like and people can get a better idea of you know have a little bit better like idea for expectations going into some of these more extreme hunts oh for sure and I I mean whether you know you talked about the turkey and deer i mean we do all sorts and i know coming from a, a guide's perspective and an outfitter's perspective it's a little bit different than than these hunters expect yeah i, I get these questions all the time well people are almost scared you know you look like you're pretty hardcore and all that stuff they see the videos and they see you know they they hear from other hunters if they went on a hard hunt we can as a guide you can adapt to any hunter basically right like we that's our job is to work with what we got of course i recommend everybody get in as best shape as they can and get the best gear they they can and all that stuff and we're we're happy to answer those questions and say what we recommend on that on both fronts but uh the most important thing is the is the mental side of of when you're going on a guided hunt you know whether if you can just not give up you know we we talk about this all the time um it's so much more enjoyable for the guide. If you have someone that you know, just won't give up. And I mean, some people you, you look at them and they get there and you're like, Oh, he smokes. This is going to be a tough hunt. You know, maybe he's not in the best shape or whatever, but if they don't give up, that's the main thing. It's, it's a marathon, not a sprint for sure. And uh, it's just, we want to work. If, if the person can mentally not give up, it keeps the guides going harder for longer in the sense, like not necessarily walking them to death, but just, just, we, it's hard for us sometimes too, staying mentally, mentally tough and grinding it out because when things aren't going good, it, you know, you want to bash your head against the wall or, or whatever. And, you know, some people want to give up and everything, but that's the main thing. You just can't give up and you got to really focus on enjoying the little things. I, I know it's, it sounds kind of funny, but you got to enjoy, you know, listening to the birds sing and seeing the views and all that stuff, because, um, you know, it's got to be treated almost, there's a lot of money going into this and a lot of effort and a lot of sacrifice by not only the hunter, but their families and their, you know, their employers, or, or if they have a, a business, they have to take time away and rely on other people to pick up the slack. So you might as well make it as enjoyable as possible. It's, it doesn't take long for it to happen and things are going good. And I mean, I've guided a lot of hunts that happen. They're over within the first day and a lot that have went literally down to the last minute. And I think, I mean, I listened to your podcast. Well, your sheep hunt was a lot like that, right? Yeah, it was like down to the last minute. And looking back, like it was hard at the time, but I almost rather that it would have gone down like that than if we would have shot a sheep on the first day. 100%. And, you know, that's um, that's what a majority of the hunters end up saying. Those ones that have that hard hunt, and there's, there is some dark times in those hard hunts where they want to give up and they're questioning whether they're, they're good they should even be there and um you know but in in the end it they are so excited when it's a hard one and a long one and and i've had so many people over the years you know both clients and just hunting friends you know thank you for keeping me going or thanking me for keeping them going like it was they didn't think they had it in them right and then when it did it was just the the best trophy of their life i mean even as as early as last year i had two different goat hunters that basically told me the same thing and both hunts were pretty tough on them like goats can be really really hard uh, it's pretty rugged country it can be and uh, these two were 
were pretty in particular uh, really good steep climbs and i mean one guy being a really good like athlete and the other guy being an older gentleman that was in decent shape but um yeah they really had to push themselves and it ended up being their most cherished trophies they ever had when it was all said and done all right everybody just going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors first onyx hunt maps been using the onyx elite subscription for a long time now with multiple states uh, it's really nice when i'm in the office i can bring it up on the computer drop pins have a bigger picture and then uh, it'll everything will transfer over to my phone and my ipad because i use all three integrated with onyx so uh, use code rockcast at checkout to receive 20 percent off a subscription so go check that out next up black rifle coffee for the ones who love caffeine, it truly is a different kind of tasting coffee. It just tastes a lot better. Every time we go to a restaurant or something like that, I'm just like, yikes. It uh, really stands apart from, you know, gas station coffee. Use code ROCKSLIDE at checkout to receive 20% off and give their um, their membership a look. It basically auto ships coffee to you. So you don't have to go to the store. You don't have to do anything like that. You basically just sign up. And every, you know, allotted time you tell it to, it's going to send you how much ever coffee you want it to. So, insures for some fresh coffee. And then one that is quickly becoming a fan favorite is GearJunkie.com. And GearJunkie.com is an awesome way to save you some money by their cash back program. So, basically what you do, you go to GearJunkie.com, you sign up for a free account, there are like 1,500 brands and retailers on there and you know, everything from like there's Lowe's, which I am a fan of um, for home projects. You have like Carhartt, uh, Nike, like, you know, outdoor brands. There's also like Cabela's uh, Sportsman's Warehouse. There's outdoor brands, but then there's also things that you use just every day or in your outdoor lifestyle type deal. So you go to gearjucky.com, you sign up. You go through, you click the brand that you want to purchase from. It's going to push you through to that brand site or that retailer site. You're going to go through and make your purchases just like you normally always do. Then Gear Junkie tracks that purchase and every 90 days they send everybody their cash back. And it is not just through their website, through some kind of a points program. It's actually cash. They will send you a check to your mailbox or they will deposit it into your PayPal account. So super great way to save money. You can stack coupons on top of that. So if you have coupons or discount codes or anything that is going on through that retailer as far as a sale, that will stack on top of the percentage that Gear Junkie is going to give you as a cash back. So they can really stack on each other pretty fast. You can get up to 20% cash back through gearjunkie.com. So go check them out. Then a favorite and go-to of mine is First Light Clothing. Go to firstlight.com, check out some of their new 2022 offerings. We got the Origin hoodie, then we have the Omen Heavy Duty Rain Gear, which is really kick-ass. I wore that in Alaska on my Dull Sheep Hunt. And speaking of that, that film just came out on the First Light YouTube. So if you just go to YouTube and type in uh, Behind the Gun or First Light Behind the Gun, you will watch the uh, sheep hunt that I just went on this last August. I talked about it a lot on the podcast through um, previous episodes as far as gear goes and then how the hunt went. Um, The film is 15 minutes. It is definitely uh, more uh, more than just a sheep film, so 
you're gonna get my dad in there a bit talking so it's a cool film and I'm lucky to have it uh, for the rest of my life hopefully so uh, go check them out firstlight.com the new offerings really kick ass I wore the Omen rain gear in Alaska last year and it was it's really good stuff like I think that they really uh, that was that was a big upgrade they moved the bar with that piece so uh, go check them out firstlight.com when you're like booking a hunt with some people I guess just in general if is there like any advice or things you tell people of figuring out if a hunt maybe isn't for them, if that makes sense? Like, I guess, yeah, know the reality of it. I mean, yes, there is. You have to kind of go with your gut. Obviously we don't know just over a phone call. I like to feel I've gotten a little bit better at it, but it's impossible to, to know what you're getting. I mean, we get lots of people that say that they're in amazing shape and, you know, absolutely have hunted all over the world and this and that you think oh right on yeah and then they show up that might be you know slightly different or or vice versa you know you you get these really modest people that sound really scared and then they show up like oh wow this guy's fine and he ends up just killing it so i mean but you do kind of get a feel for it over so many years talking to these guys and stuff and you just the biggest thing is you got to try your best to be honest and I think stay modest as an outfitter and a guide of, of, uh, you know, kind of dampering expectations a little bit. It's so easy as, you know, as good as anyone, um, to anyone who's done the video stuff, you know, there's a lot of the, the story that's unfortunately cut out that has to be cut out because of time restraints and, and it'd just be too boring to watch. But, um, you know, people see, see stuff for, will take moose. Moose is tough. Like moose is one of the best examples of somebody goes and watches some of these moose videos. It looks like you just walk out into this beautiful lake or willow flat or something and make a couple of weird noises. And, you know, and 16 bull moose come walking out and you have your pick. That's what the majority of the videos make it look like. And it's a very different story. Right. Uh, and I mean, with my videos that I was doing over the years, I was, guilty as well because you got to keep an entertainment part of it and you only have so much time and you want it to flow and and i mean i don't think too many people want to sit there and watch you know 20 minutes of somebody sitting in their tent no but that is definitely the reality of it like you can you know in a 15 minute video you can tell somebody that you sat in the tent for whatever the last two days but those 48 hours are long like i mean <laughs> three days away from what you have known is like oh. forever and and we're getting worse as in society with that right like we have all this technology with our phones and you know and all that i remember when i first started guiding i always carried a book because i'd be in the tent for days especially on something like a sheep hunt the backpack sheep hunt sometimes you'd be like you said two or three days well i mean you'd read the book a couple times over and that kind of keep your mind busy and and whatever and you kind of use it as a rest and get ready to go when knowing that when it was nice there's going to be sheep all over the mountain right you just had to mentally stay strong and and kind of wait it out and and know that most of the hunters probably left and you know if there's competition there and and uh and the sheep are just like us they're sick of laying around as well right yeah and uh yeah you could be out and it, it doesn't matter with all animals so i've i've actually changed my strategy a little bit i i found uh and i know you know cassidy and brad have said the same thing a little bit Sometimes we forget how hard we go and, uh, you know, we're out there for 
we're not just out there for hunting season. We're out there cutting trails and packing gear in and setting up camps like all summer. And then a hunter shows up in particular partway through the season when we've already been doing the full on stuff for a couple of months, you almost become like an animal and you, you forget how big those mountains are and how far you have to walk and how hard it is. Cause you're just, it's just part of life now. But uh, we've started to learn a little bit to, to try to damper that a little bit, make it a little bit more enjoyable without, you know, you save the times when you have to go hard for when you have to go hard, right. When you really got to push the client because if you have to push someone, that's no fun. If you're always dragging them around and that's no fun for them. They're paying for a holiday supposedly as well. Right. Yeah. Um, and not everybody can be a marathon runner or type person that just wants to go, go, go all the time. So I really pick and choose. Like if it's a miserable day and thankfully we have such nice camps for this, we'll get down to one of those nice cabins or something. And, and it's not, you know, if we get a couple hours here and there, or even a couple of minutes, we'll get out and we'll make sure we hunt. But if it's pouring rain, majority of the time, those animals are, are bedded down anyway and they're not really moving so we do the same and we rest and we kind of save our energy um for when it's time to go um in particular on the you know earlier part of a hunt um just trying to make sure that we're ready to go when the weather uh says it's time and honestly or if anything our success is has went up doing that we don't blow as much out we don't kill our hunters as much we have a lot less uh clients you know quit early not that that happens a lot, but uh, it's definitely happened. And you just kind of got to adapt to your client a lot more than than maybe we did when we were younger and running around from mountaintop to mountaintop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't always have to be like, you don't always have to haul ass. Like, it doesn't always have to be a race to the top, you know? It's kind of a slow and steady type of deal. And for the most part, like, the guides that I've been with, just like you said, they adapt to it. And they go slow and it's like, all right, let's, let's take like, let's count 30 steps and then we'll stop. And like, is, is, if it can just be like slow and steady like that, you'll be in a better mood. And, you know, instead of just trying to think it's like a race all the time. Well, and you're, you're going to, it's amazing how many animals we walk by if we get in a hurry and running all over the place. And, and, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about sheep hunting, but this is just, you know, you get up to the top and all of a sudden you skyline yourself because you're in a hurry without properly glassing and those bedded band of rams that are over there and then you know in the shrubs or kind of in a little crevice or something somewhere see you and then you never even know they're there and that's not a good thing either right so definitely slowing down i know for me when i'm climbing a mountain if it's a tough pull um i i just make little goals i just make a whole bunch of little hills out of that mountain i just you know i'll pick a rock up there 50 yards or 10 yards or whatever it is and i'll get to that and i'll stop kind of thing and pick the next one and get to that right mm-hmm. and it just seems to break it up and it's actually kind of funny you, you know i was in a lot of probably a fair bit better shape anyway than i am now but it it almost seems easier now when I'm older, even though I'm sore and I don't have quite the energy or, or the strength I did when I was in my twenties or, or, you know, early thirties, but, uh, your mind seems to work with your body a lot more now. And, and, and if you can really focus on that mindset, it just, this is where would I rather be, you know, doing a normal job in nine to five or, you know, and the hunter can do this, would I, would I rather be back at work or I'm out in the mountains right now? Like this, this is, it doesn't get any better. And if you can just keep that mindset, keep going, keep going and trust the process. It, it happens the vast, vast majority of the time if you can stick it out. 
Yep. Oh man, I totally agree. So on these, uh, like on these sheep hunts, and I think especially goat hunt, some of the goat hunts that you guys are doing are like pretty, they can, you know, goat hunts are just extreme anyways, but um, <laughs> what does a typical day look like? And then how do you transfer that into like preparing for the hunt physically? Like what you recommend? Um, for example, on my sheep hunt, I trained a lot, uh, for that. And I was like trying to, I was like really trying to work on my lungs. And then when I got there, I realized that more so you need to like learn how to like really positively control a heavy backpack, like slowly, if that makes sense, going from rock to rock. Cause they're so unsteady type of a deal versus like, you know, getting to the top fast. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, for sure. So on, on a typical, like, you know, our harder hunts, whether that's goat or sheep, you know, again, we get all kinds, we get people that are almost 70 coming with us and we have to adapt to it. So we're fortunate enough. We have some areas we can get where goat isn't quite as extreme as, as, you know, some other places, but then we have those extreme mountains too. But so like typical day of that is, you know, you're, you're going to have to hike, but, um, once you find the goats, I, I've learned to maybe not necessarily climb as much until I, till I find the, find the goats. I mean, sometimes the hunters only have, let's say two really big marathon climbs in them, um, for a hunt. So I try to find the billies before I take them on a crazy one. That doesn't mean we don't climb. It doesn't, you know, you'll get to vantage points and stuff and you might have to take your time and get up and spend some time glassing and whatever. But when we're really, really going for it, um, I just found it was really bad, uh, crushing somebody, you know, every single day, all hunt, you know, unless they can go and get to the top of every single mountain. And it just, it just wasn't working out. Um, so you really got to read your client again, um, to see what they can, what they can do. Obviously you get someone that's, young and spry and determined and i mean i got people that are in better shape than me and and you can just go as hard as you want and and make it what they want out of it for an adventure but for the most part we use the horses for goats to get at least you know within reason at least to the base of the mountain or something and then we can spend our you know whether it's an hour or 10 hours climbing to the top the days are long that time of year and and um and, and we can get them into position. You know, once, once you find the billies, they tend to stick around the same area. Um, last year we had the one, uh, the one guy there and we ended up having to take all day to get up there. And I just strap, uh, his backpack kind of to mine and pack a bunch of his stuff, but we got, I got him up there and we, uh, ended up taking all day to get there and we killed him, you know, an hour before dark and we had to sleep on the side of the mountain, but as a guide, you know, you should have enough gear to be able to do that. I always have a, you know, tarp and lots of fire starter and everything else that'll make us survive to get through the night. It might be the longest night of our life, but we get through and he got his goat, you know, and, and it's something that he probably will never do again, but he was 67 years old and he did great. And it was just an amazing hunt. So that that's the kind of adventure it can be, or, you know, some days we've killed them where you can ride just about right to them and 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 get off and and you know maybe spend a half an hour to a couple hours stock and get on them and it's uh, you know you're you're back down to the down to the bottom at a nice tent or cabin camp by supper time so it's it's hard to answer what a typical day is 
the biggest thing is you have to try to be prepared for everything I would say. Yeah. Um, the typical regiment you give people. Uh, for, for fitness. Yeah. I, I used to do it quite a bit. Um, and I'm happy to help people with, with that being someone who played a lot of sports and been in fitness my whole life, but um, just depends how much they ask. I don't also don't want to come back across as an arrogant guy who knows everything either lots of people are in better shape than me and know more about it than me but um i've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of trainers and stuff so if if they do ask and and they want some input i definitely get them to focus on on legs and core and and the balance stuff you alluded to with the backpack and basically just getting out and and hiking um you know, let's say they might have their, their, their significant other, they can get out three, four days a week and even do 15 to half an hour walk. And, and uh, the biggest thing though, I, I try to tell them is I've seen people overtrain. So like you shouldn't be training um, every, like, let's say I tell them, you know, put a backpack on and, and train. Well, that doesn't mean throw a hundred pounds in your backpack every single day. You'll just wear yourself out. But, you know, I'll tell them to throw, you know, some days, fairly light some days no weight some days you know get it up there to 40 or 50 pounds um i don't think you know necessarily throwing 80 or 90 pounds on your back is necessarily a good thing before hunt either wearing you out or risk of injury right there's a lot and that's you know kind of what us guides are for we we're ready to help pack and stuff right so it doesn't <laughs> mean we don't aren't thankful for when people pack a fair bit to make it easier on us but um just I just want them as physically fit as they can possibly be in, um, given their life without you know disrupting their life too much because you know the rest of their life is more important. And then uh, and then hopefully that helps them remain mentally strong so they don't give up. Yeah, it certainly makes it like the me the mentally strong and the physically strong. Like you'll see some people be like, oh, I don't need to train just because I'm like mentally tough. Well, like they definitely play off of each other and oh, yeah. it really sucks bad when you're not in good shape. And oh, it does. And I mean, why, why wouldn't you be, you know, try to get yourself into shape when you're spending this kind of money and it's your dream hunt. Like some guys, they literally can only afford the, you know, that, that one chance, um, you know, so why not try to get yourself? So, so you might be like super mentally strong, but if you're, if you're physically, you know, kind of even that out a little bit, you can be even more mentally strong to even go harder or longer if you have to. And I mean, it goes the other way too, right? Like why, why make it so mentally hard when it can be mentally a little easier if you're, you know, more physically strong or in shape. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Oh. And good gear helps with that too, obviously. So we always, we send a bit of a gear list typically and, um, and or or answer lots of questions i mean guys phone or text or whatever they want to do asking questions and you know i give their recommendations of brands or or whatever but i i mean again that comes down to what works best for you i would say the biggest thing with gear is do a little bit of research you know i mean like your podcast is great for that you're always testing stuff there's a lot of good people in the industry testing stuff and uh, a lot of you know good guides and and stuff like like myself that are willing to answer those questions but do the research and find what works for you and 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 get out there and break them in before you get on the hunt yeah is is there any gear items that seem to like consistently fall short what for what people are bringing like 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite a bit. Uh, I mean, I mean, rain gear is a big one. Yeah. Boots are number one. Boots are, uh, man, people walk out of boots so much. And again, it's just not, you know, I, I just don't try to save 50 bucks on boots is what I would say. And, and make sure you try them on. And, and, and that's kind of the problem with the, the digital world right now. We don't like everybody or a lot of people order things online and it might be a really, really good boot, you know, like there's a lot of great brands out there, but it might not be good for your foot. Mm-hmm. And so that's a problem too, right? They order a boot because somebody told them it was the best. Uh, I say, you know, with something like boots, get to the store and try them on and, and uh, see how they feel. And I mean, some people have wide feet, some people have narrow feet. I know like Scarpa, I used them for a while and they were, they were pretty good, but my feet were a little wide for them and, and it really started to hurt my feet. Right. So, um, but they lasted the longest for me and they were a tough boot. Um, so, so that was good. And you can't really afford to go too big because then your foot's kind of slopping around in other spots. Right. Um, and then, you know, like now I, I'm, I think I'm on to some handwags that I bought for the first time last year and I heard lots of good things for them and I really like them so far, but I've only got, you know, maybe a quarter season in on them. Um, you know, and I, I there's, the, there's the Zamberlin, Lawa, you know, Scarpa, what else is there? There's all those boots are pretty, pretty darn good. There's, um, you know, Mendel's and, and you, I talked to fellow guides and every, that's one thing I know with boots is every, single guide is just a little bit different you know it's um it depends on what fits their foot the best as long as you're staying in that upper echelon just to get the durability out of it you know if if you go and buy a 200 pair of boots they might be comfortable in the store but that's that's not good you got to think of the break-in period and stuff like that too i mean uh 200 boots isn't going to last you on a mountain hunt yeah and i would say like a fairly stiff option as well kind of depending on the foot but just a stiffer boot in that really steep rugged terrain will be a bit better on your ankles and just your you know overall platform for sure and i mean that comes down to the shank right like you can get a three-quarter or full full shank and all of a sudden those boulder that's and that's one reason i like scarpa when i I ran them is the durability but they took a long time for me to break in and and uh you know the one model was better than the next model i got so and I ordered it online. I made the mistake that I will never make that mistake again, right? Because I basically, I had to basically give those boots away to someone with skinnier feet. But I mean, I could go up to a boulder with those, a little rock and just put my toe on it. It was almost like walking on flat ground because you got that full shank, right? Yep. So for goats, for example, that's a pretty good thing to have or sheep, uh, in my opinion. And then just the, the stability is always good. But um, yeah, and as far as, other things, yeah, I mean, it all breaks down. I, I think I mentioned rain gear there. Um, yeah, don't cheap out on rain gear. Um, I might be a little bit different. I've changed a little bit on the rain gear. I've used pretty much all of them, and there's some really good breathable options out there, and I'm probably due for a new set now. But um, a lot of my hunts now, I've started to go back to, like, a little bit more of the rubberized, like, pure waterproof material. Yeah. I know they're not breathable, but man uh they just they keep the water out and i like to think i can unzip my coat if i need to breathe or you know i'll take them off the biggest thing for me with with that though is like and they last those those rubber ones i guess they last a lot longer 
Um, they're just tougher. They're a little bit heavier, obviously, to carry. But I mean, they don't leak if you're sitting in the saddle, like a like a Gore-Tex or something. You know how it rubs on the saddle, or if you're riding a quad a lot or sitting on a boat seat, you seem to still get wet. Like it seems to wear through. Um, that rubberized stuff doesn't as much, and yeah, you might sweat a bit more. But it, again, I've changed. Like if it's pouring rain, unless I absolutely have to, um, I try not to. I'll crawl under a tree or under a tarp somewhere and, and wait it out, you know, a lot more. I'll try not to travel as much. And, and then even I found that waterproof stuff was just a little bit better when you're hiking through the bush, even if after it stops raining, you have to hike up a mountain and soak. You can like go with no jacket if you're in the lower brush, but you can still leave your pants on. At least you're not absolutely drenched. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is like, it doesn't even have to be raining there to just be wet through everything that you're mm-hmm. you're walking through well and, and i find like i just i sweat a lot um when i'm out there and, and i just, i find whether i'm wearing rain gear or not i sweat um so i i just want to do i i like to go with a little bit of the less breathable stuff um if i can um just for that reason you know and i mean it's been <laughs> it's kind of crazy but sometimes we're running boats or we have to cross a river well i'll just tape up my boots or put my my gaiters on over top of my rain gear on the bottoms there and, and I'll cross the river and use them as waders. And you know, that's, that's pretty handy too. Right. Yeah. And it seems to, seems to keep the water out sometimes, you know, if you're obviously not, if you're standing in the water for 10 minutes, but if you have to cross and you know, you, you got six steps to cross or whatever, and you can kind of move fairly quick through there. I've went through there and stayed, you know, virtually bone dry. So, uh, you know, that's helped before too because <laughs> there is sometimes where you just can't stop i mean i again i i listened to your sheep hunt and it was kind of like that you guys had like three or four days straight there of non-stop going right so mm-hmm. um whether you're wet or not you just can't really stop you had a you had a deadline to get somewhere yeah there was really no option yeah and the last one that breaks down i guess a lot would be um would be the backpack itself like backpacks are are pretty important and, um, I'm not a huge fan of the strap systems. Like, the, um, I find that if you, at least for, as a guide, I mean, it's, it, I look at backpacks a little bit different, but yeah, when clients come, I see them break quite a bit. And if that strap breaks, it might kind of hinder your overall, like that's kind of the whole strength of the backpack. Right. So I like a little bit of a heavier backpack and, and a lot bigger one. Um, that being said, I, I wouldn't recommend that to a hunter coming. Like I, I run the Barney's Sports Chalet still, the Frontier Gear of Alaska or whatever. Um, and that's the biggest backpack I could find. I've ran it for years and I run it because of the big suspension. But um, sometimes I'm throwing, you know, 125 pound moose quarters on the back or, you know, I've had uh, 10 foot brown bears rolled up, you know, capes in the back of that and stuff like that. So I've had well over 200 pounds in that lots and, you know, in my younger days, especially, but I mean that, that keeps you from digging in and around your waist on your shoulders and everything like that. And it just, just supports it a lot. But as for a hunter, I'd just say, you know, get a good one. That's fairly light, but definitely get one. That's big enough. There's nothing worse for a guide than when a hunter shows up with a friggin' backpack that you take to, to school and you were a kid. Right. And, and I know that there's a few guys that do that on purpose. Cause then, you know, they'll never have to you can only get so much in those, but make sure your backpack's a little bit bigger than that. Like make sure you can get your gear in there. You know, don't just bring a day pack on these, even if they are going to be used as a day pack, bring 
there, there might be a time where we need to throw a tarp in there and a, you know, your sleeping bag and a bed mat. And well, that takes up a lot of room, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I always tell people like shoot for a minimum of 5,000 cubic inches on any of these. I mean, I would even say a little bit more, especially if you're doing a backpack hunt, I would go more, but gosh, it like, there are people that can get five days of gear in a three, you know, a 3,500 or something like that, but they, I don't know how <laughs> I know, but they're probably super like super dialed in on their stuff. And it's probably super lightweight, like quilts and freaking three quarter length pads and all this crazy stuff. And yeah. I want to be able like, if, especially everything might fit in that if it's packed perfectly, but if, it's like, you know, wet one morning or whatever. You're, you're trying to take your tent down. Everything's freaking wet. And just, oh. you're just trying to stuff it all in and go. That's yeah. No good. Is like. I would say, I would say 6,000 at least for most guys. Um, like I said, air on the bigger side. I know mine's, I can't even remember what that Barney's is. I run. It's the biggest one you can get, um, you know, and there's big backpacks whether it's stone glacier or mystery ranch or you know gafaru and everything like that but the, you know you get what you like the best um but yeah i'd say you get at least six thousand i mean these these new packs are getting so good that you can interchange uh, the bags with with the frames I'd, that'd be a good option for somebody too then they can you know kind of buy both bags and the, and the frame and then they have something for at home for those day hunts but then they could just bring the bigger bag when they come right yep and a bigger bag doesn't really weigh hardly any more or take up any more room than the smaller bag. You know, when there's less stuff on it, it's not like it's no, outrageously a big difference. <laughs> they all compress pretty good for yeah. day hunting. And then just having the ability to expand is super nice. Well, so and, and, and it's nice to lean on too. If you have to take a shot off, it's a lot better to take a shot off something that you can lay, lay down and cover a little bit wider part of ground and stuff right yeah yeah that's a good that's a super good point another good one too that i don't talk about a lot until it's time for it to happen is <laughs> like why i like a big backpack obviously i have to pack all that extra stuff and and you have to be able to support it but i mean i sleep on mine if i have to get stuck on the side of a mountain that doesn't happen as much as it used to but i can pretty much crawl my bottom half right in the backpack if i want but i usually just lay it out and then it has like a spot for the rain gear that's longer and it works like a mattress to keep me off the cold ground yeah you know, like i'm sitting time. glassing whatever i can sit on my backpack right yeah and makes it a lot more pleasant and it saves me packing you know extra foamies and and seats like some people do or or, or a bench rest to shoot off of or or something like that right yeah are you guys like back to footwear a little bit are you guys using crampons uh, I don't. Yeah. Uh, I, I, we're, we're fortunate enough. Like, don't get me wrong. Our mountains are steep and stuff, but, um, that time of year when we're hunting in the high country, typically there's not really any ice or snow, hopefully. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I don't know. We just, you, there seems to be pretty good footing for the most part. And if, if there isn't, we can pick a spot that has better footing, mm -hmm. which is nice. I mean, they're waiting I, I know for me personally, I haven't used them much because, you know, going back to when I was playing sports and stuff and having to wear like cleats on shoes and stuff, I'm, I'm always worried that if I'm wearing them and I slip, I'll like twist an ankle or something. Yeah. Gotcha. 
I see what you know, saying. that being said, if, if it keeps you from slipping, <laughs> that might that might keep an injury from happening too. But honestly, I, I don't know if you have a good pair of boots I've found and, and, um, you know, you learn how to walk out there a lot. Um, there's little tricks to give you a little bit better. Um, hiking poles can help a lot, you know, stuff like that. I've, I've done well, pretty well, um, from not getting hurt and stuff out there. So I'm, uh, it's hard to change a whole bunch, I guess, but uh, I mean, maybe some people know more about crampons that have used them than me. Maybe you do. I don't, I don't know. No, no, not at all. But some of those, like, you see some of those coastal goat hunts where they're like, like using a full on crampon, not even like micro spikes. I've used those micro spikes a little bit, just like oh, yeah. on Kodiak and stuff when it snows and the grass is like mm-hmm. a flip and slide. Uh, oh, yeah. So those come in, but those are not full on crampons for no and i just don't think they're worth the wait that being said i did guide a coastal goat hunt one time me and cassidy went up there and and we were literally going from like we're sitting on the ocean glass and then climbing to the top of these huge mountains and it was wet and slippery and it that was tough going but um so maybe there was a spot for them but i would i think if i was going to take the weight um extra weight and stuff on an extreme extreme hunt like that like with, where there's still no hopefully no ice and snow yet i think i would probably go with some sort of like a climbing axe or something yeah and 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 a lot of rope and maybe some you know ways to get up and tie them up and all that stuff maybe leave your pack and hook a rope to it pull it up if you have to and stuff like that that being said i don't really care to ever guide a coastal uh, a coastal goat hunt again yeah really, it was it's pretty tough. crazy yeah it was it was just just not really my country i like the north here i like it a little bit drier i didn't necessarily like sitting on the ocean as much you know with the little boat we had and it it was pretty extreme like if you want an extreme adventure it was it was pretty awesome but it was just always wet and um and even though it was a lot more mild of a climate than i'm used to you're always cold because you were wet it was just it was there was big goats everywhere which was awesome but it was just really really tough i know cassidy loved doing them um but i would i i have my northern area up here now i think i'd just about rather choose even if i was going hunting for myself i'd rather and had the time off i'd rather hunt up here it's just where i like to be it's where i know don't blame you i don't blame you at all um, one more thing that I have got a lot of questions about lately for, I'm not really sure why, but for some reason is tents for hunts. Oh, yeah. Um, do you, can like dive into your, to your tents? I think we're kind of similar. Yeah. So <laughs> like, uh, I had a bit of a story for, for the tent. Why I, why I like these Hilleberg, um, they, I had a tent on a sheep hunt there one year and, um, I was up in the Yukon guiding it and it rained for like four days straight. I went in ahead to do some pre-cutting and some pre-scouting for the trail. And then I had uh, another guide bring in, bring in the client and they walked through the rainstorm while I was in my tent and they showed up and it was, it was ridiculous. It was one of those ones, you know, you were talking about like three or four days straight. And when they got there, I was in my two man tent and they, they just, they both of them just jumped in the tent with me because with the vestibule and everything, like they were so soaked and freezing cold that there was, it was raining so hard. There was no way we could even set their tent up. The wind was blowing. It was terrible. So we kind of waited out the storm for like 15 hours like that, which was not fun, but at least they survived. Um, 
didn't think much of it. And then finally, when the rain stopped, you know, we got out, everybody had to, you know, take a, take a piss and whatever else and knew we might only have 10 minutes to set up th- these other tents. Um, and I got out and quickly set up an, another tent. And while I was setting up the tent, it had rained so hard that the water started running down them. We were just down from the top in a little flat and was running down that top and coming out of the ground. And I looked back at my tent after, you know, five or 10 minutes of being outside and the water had actually risen to about four inches deep. Like it was just below the, the black part on the Hildeberg, the base. And I yelled at the packer was still in there. And I yelled at him to like put my sleeping bag on top of my bed mat and stuff and try to keep it dry. And um, yeah, we finished setting up the tent. And when we went over there, that water was still just below that black ran that's around there. And my sleeping bag and bed mat, nothing, nothing inside the tent even got wet. So I definitely will be a user of their t- equipment after that. I'd use lots of good tents before that. I'm not saying there isn't lots of other good brands out there, but I phoned them right away and said, you know, that's a tent for me. So I really recommend that one. They're pretty much bomb proof. You can tie them to rocks and stuff if you're right up on top and they'll take the wind. Um, that being said, you know, I always, I've spent a lot of days without, without a tent and I'll just take a, a tarp with me or whatever and make like a little lean to or, uh, or, you know, tie a rope between two trees or whatever and make a little tube tent or whatever if I have to do something like that but I definitely um recommend the Hildeberg when it comes to that yeah which tent was that do you know which model that was uh I what one was uh I I have a one man a two man and a three man and it was my two man tent because I think the packer was supposed to stay with me and then we had another solo tent for the hunter that was the one we're setting up, but um, is it? it like I think stuff. I the Alec. Is yeah, the you Alec have is the one? Alec. Yeah. yeah, that was. I think it was that one, and then I think the solo tent I run, which I run a little bit bigger solo. Um, I think is maybe even called the solo. I can't remember which model it is actually, but um, offhand, but I think it's got the one with a little bit bigger vestibule beside you. I like to, you know, being an outfitter, I like to be able to throw my my pack and stuff in beside me and and uh maybe you know be able to sit up and you know hang a few more clothes if they need to dry a bit and you know now it's an inreach it used to be you know you had to maybe do some business when you're on the mountain with your sat phone so you like to be able to sit up a little bit and do that but um yeah i i would i've always been one i know people argue with me but um that would go in a little bit over prepared i was always able to pack more than the average person. So I, I would definitely take a little bit more food and, and a little bit more gear just in case. And, and I mean, I, I think that's your responsibility as a guide, you know, you're supposed to have, you know, I'd have a little bit extra first aid and tarps and whatever else, because you above all your job is to, to get your client through safely and you have to prepare for the worst. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I hear these people going in for 10 day hunts with like 50 or 60 pound packs. And I honestly don't see how it's possible. Um, I don't know if I've ever been able to go in without starting with an 80 pound pack minimum, you know, with my food and, and safety gear and everything like that. Um, I, I just, I, 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 and I have, you know, some of the lightest best gear there is. And I just, I, I don't know how they do it. They must half starve and they must do what you said, you know, three quarter bed rolls. I, I would rather sacrifice for a little bit better sleep, you know, and 
they must cut weight where I don't. I, I don't take any really extra clothes other than, you know, socks and maybe an extra pair of base layer. And I, I don't know how they do it, Jordan. <laughs> maybe you can help me. <laughs> well, I think some of it is like shorter trips here, at least. And the yeah. ability to walk. I mean, frick, most places you're three hours, you're back to your vehicle or two hours if things really go bad, like just abandon camp and freaking walk back to your vehicle. Yeah, you can always go you can't back do right? that there. <laughs> no. And again, you have to be prepared for the worst. Um, if you're doing an eight or ten or twelve or you know, fifteen day backpack hunt, you still have to be prepared if something goes south. And it like you can go south in, in a in a real bad way, really quick, you know. Oh yeah. And then man, just food wise for that long. Like I know you know, you could do like airdrops and things like that. I know people do those to like resupply or whatever, but I mean, yeah, we do a lot of that now. We don't do airdrops, but like I will skidoo supplies into our, our cabins or we'll pack them in with the horses ahead of time in the summer. And so everything's kind of stocked. And then that makes us need less horses to get in. And then, and then lots of the gear is there. Right. Yeah. Um, which that helps tremendously, even just having it somewhere in the vicinity, like even if it's a, you know, uh, a day or two hike away, at least it's somewhere there and you can get down and light the wood stove and get, you know, get everything dried out. That's, that's sure helped a lot. Yeah. Have you used any of like the lightweight backpacking, like tents with stoves? Um, not really. Um, I, I got some really good friends that have, and I've seen them. They're pretty, they're pretty slick. Mm-hmm. um i know one of my best friends he's big time sheep hunter and he loves his uh you know i i never really did for a couple reasons number one i had my my good tents and everything i'd spent thousands on mm-hmm. um and again go back to i i was able to pack a little bit more i was always scared i'd have to set up in a swamp or something and i liked having that really good floor um the other thing is too the bugs can you know can be bad so i always took my good tent and even if i was if i was gonna bivy out for a night i i always had a silt tarp with me and i found that was just about as good as sleeping in a tent other than it was open right you better have a bug net with you or, or something but you can put your bed mat down your backpack down beside you and kind of make a bed even if the ground's a little damp or whatever but i found that that the wind blowing through just making let's say you made like a tube tent you know over a piece of rope or something it was actually quite warm because it's dry, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas a tent can get a little bit, you know, you get that moisture built up in, inside there and everything. But it, yeah, I always, if we we're going to bivy out, I just try to pick, you know, luckily for technology now, um, we can get somewhat of a weather forecast on our inreaches or whatever. And you look at the sky and, well, it looks good for a few days. Let's take advantage of this and let's leave our tents here, but let's just take our sleeping bag and our bedrolls and the tarp and let's give her, you know, yeah, and drop weight that way. And that worked that worked pretty well um and the the other good thing about being a guide you know hunting a lot of the same areas you can kind of you can have your caches along the way and stuff like that too nice uh a couple i guess a couple things i want to talk about quick are like first off the bear situation up there and if you've had (laughs) any run-ins and like if that's a worry of people's and then on a totally different subject, uh, like bugs and how you manage those early season or how you would recommend people come prepared. Yeah. Um, as far as the bears go, they're, they're just part of life up here. They, I'm quite comfortable with them. 
we're going to have, we're going to see bears, uh, you know, grizzlies and black bears. They don't seem to bother us too much. Uh, you know, we always have a gun or whatever if we need. And sometimes guys bring pepper spray and stuff like that. I, I just try to tell the, 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 the customers, you know, let us worry about that. They, we've had some run-ins, obviously there's, <laughs> there's been a few, you can't do it as many years as we've done it up here and, and not run into them. Um, you know, like even, even the other day there, we're building a cabinet, uh, at base camp and, uh, at our main lodge and pounding and drilling. And, and I looked out and we actually were ice fishing while we we're doing it. And <laughs> there's a grizzly bear with his head down the hole, trying to pull up the, pull up the fishing line so it's pretty good got some good pictures of him anyway and and he didn't really want to leave but i just circled around till he got my wind and then he finally took off and now i see he's been stealing some of my horse hay out of there and stuff but <laughs> um yeah as long as they don't wreck our camp or or, or you know any dangerous parts they're, they're as far as we're concerned they're just part of life up there and you can't there's such a low risk in my opinion, like, why would you ever want that to use as an excuse to not go on a, a trip of a lifetime or, or do something you love, you know? Yeah. Like, like bear attacks, they happen obviously, but in the big scheme of things, they're pretty darn rare. Yeah. 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 It's a question that gets asked a lot. Yeah. Like, and people are terrified of them and, and yeah. more, more often than not, it's like people back home. So if a guy comes with us, his wife or his kids might be really scared of bears, right? Um, and what's and they're they're sure he's going to get attacked by bears. It's kind of like us if we went over to New Zealand or Australia and want, wanted to go surfing, you know, and we'd be scared of sharks. Oh, but yeah. there, they're just like, ah, just give her the, the sharks ain't going to get you, you know. <laughs> they, it's kind of the same thing. We're used to it. They're used to it down there. It's it's a new thing, but uh, I I just say enjoy seeing them and. You know, we'll do our best to not put ourselves in a situation. Again, just let us guides and outfitters kind of take care of the the worry on that. Don't let the the I would say the fear of it that's been exaggerated stop you from doing what you love. Because you know, we only got so much time to go on trips like this. We we gotta make it as as enjoyable as we can. And I mean, we talked about gear and being in shape and mentally being prepared. Well, that can go in with you know always being scared of doing something you like to do too it's just not worth missing out on yeah no not at all yeah. not at all like yeah i it definitely seems to have helped draw odds in the lower 48 in some of those areas it seems like oh yeah and like, like let's hope i i don't know if i have much confidence in it but let's hope that they start opening up some bear seasons and we get that back a little bit because they're an awesome hunt and awesome animal and and i mean you can go down the road of if we did that, the money that would go back into making sure that they survive would, would help them if anything. Right. But oh yeah, you, you know, I don't, I can't speak for, for Wyoming and places like that, but I've heard, you know, horror stories. They haven't had a grizzly bear season for so long that those bears are actually trained to, you know, when, the, when that shot goes off, it's a dinner bell. Right. So yeah. we're not quite to that point here. I know Alberta, it's been closed for about 20 years now and yeah, sometimes you're not scared at all, but, um, you know, the BC has only been closed for two or three seasons now. So I still like to think that they're mostly scared of humans. They don't like that smell. Um, and, uh, if, if, if you take the precautions, uh, the chances of something happening are so slim to nail that it doesn't really enter my mind too much, too much. I'm, I'm used to it. I sleep fine out there. <laughs> 
sometimes guys are a little bit, you know, did you hear that? What's that? Or, or, you know, they'll, they'll have to go take a shit or something. And, and you'll, you'll think they're going and you turn around and they're, they're crapping behind a tree that's 20 feet away from you or something like that. Cause <laughs> like you're scared to get away from you or something, yeah. but you know, that's, a, that's just kind of the funny stories that come from it after. Yeah. Come from guides. Yeah. Yeah. And the bugs, the bugs aren't actually usually too bad. They, they can be on, I mean, they're hard on the horses. If we have a really hot, dry year, the horse flies can be bad. Last year was bad for the horse flies. So um, we'd have to take some sort of a spray or something and rub it on them, and, you know, build the uh, little, little uh, smudges and stuff like that. But they seem to get through. I, I'd say throw a, it doesn't hurt to have a bug net in your, in your backpack for sure. And, you know, a small bottle of bug spray. I, I use thermocells quite a bit. They work really well. Yeah, I, uh, we're going on a caribou trip uh, in Alaska this in August. It's just su- okay. it's a archery trip. It's super early. It's like it opens August 10th, I think. And yeah. I've been wondering about the bugs on that. Try to camp somewhere where there's a little breeze. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe sometimes uh, we've camped right for a couple of reasons, right? Uh, when I was in Alaska, we used to camp, try to camp by like a little, little glacier, you know, snowpack. Then we could get the water from there too. And that seemed to keep them. I mean, there's a reason them caribou like to lay out in the snow, right? Yeah, it keeps it's, them uh, cold, keeps the bugs away a little bit. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's going to be brutal. You're you're going to see lots of bugs there. Well, you remember what the Yukon was like? I do. You know, I don't remember it. We got so we got done so quick on that trip. I felt like that. Uh, yeah. yeah, you guys were done early, weren't you? Yeah, we first. But first night we camped at the sheep overnight. Oh, geez. Went out the next yeah. day. Yeah. That might have been the same year I stuck in there for like 20 some days. We just let out too. It was. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you were, you were still, you guys weren't on the first hunt. I started on the first hunt. You were done and you went on the second hunt, I think it was. And uh, I think, yeah, you were still in, in Whitehorse when I got back to Whitehorse. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, we were, yeah. and it was, I, we were in there like maybe five days total. Yeah, that's, yeah, when it happens, it can happen quick. You get a good, good stretch of weather. And I mean, that's, that's the one thing too, with going with a guide or an outfitter that usually the scouting is, is done pretty good. But I mean, there's also the expectations too. We talked about the mental and I always try to, you know, you still have to sell hunt. It's a, it's a line you got to travel, but we work hard on, you know, cutting trails and getting access to areas and, and doing pre-scouting, but we can't control the animals or the weather um, or how good the hunting is necessarily when it comes to time to it. You know, sometimes we'll be out there scouting the week before and there'll be sheep or goats or whatever. We're hunting all over the place. And then the hunter gets there and it's like, you can't find them for a long time or the weather gets bad or whatever for other, whatever million other reasons why it's not working out at first the, so, you know, like when you're going on these Northern hunts, whether it's, you know, someone like us or up further North or whatever, they're the expectations. You have to kind of harness them a little bit and realize that, you know, you might be done in, in a couple of days, like you guys were that one trip, or you, you might be like your sheep hunt. You might be on the last day, last minute of the last day, basically. Right. Oh yeah. And you just gotta like stay as positive as you can and hunt every day. Like, it's something because I, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it and, you know, your guys' hunts, there's a lot more aspects of it. But I mean, even 
like simple hunts here that are really comfortable in the lower 48, guys will fall apart on the first afternoon. It's crazy. I know. I don't know. I don't know why. Like, um, I heard another guy say this too, but there's lots of us. We, we talk about with me. It's just, please don't quit. Like, yeah. give me, I want that animal just as much or more than you do. Like, this is, I take great pride in this and just don't, don't quit early. Um, you know, and I've, I've had a lot of really good referrals or, or good, uh, good references and stuff in my life, but I've also had some, you know, a couple of reviews that weren't so good. And the funny thing is that like the majority of those, those bad reviews were guys, guys actually quit early and went home early. Like they just wouldn't go and I pleaded and tried to get them to stay till the end. Cause it can happen so quick. And yeah, maybe they had a little hard luck and, and whatever else. And it wasn't, the best hunt yet so far but you still got a couple days left and it can happen in the blink of an eye like i'd take someone that can stay positive um and and not give up over someone that's in the best shape in the world any day that's you know kind of negative and and adding all that pressure and because because we all know with pressure no matter how good you get with it it, it makes you do things differently and you don't want to be operating when you're under pressure whether that's playing sports or guiding hunts or whatever it might be you don't, we, if someone's there and they just, they have a good attitude, it's more enjoyable for us. And we want to work. We want it for them that much more. Oh, you know? yeah. And we'll, yeah. Like even if you're not in the best shape and you come with us, like if I'm guiding you, if it comes time to push, I will push. I'll push you as hard as I know I can get away with. If that's what it takes to get that animal, you know, without, without making it a complete miserable for you or, or killing you or anything like that. But you know, you kind of got to go back to reading the client, kind of got to do that um, a little bit too. You got to kind of pick and choose when you push and when you relax. And, and, and now it's like, okay, it's amazing how much guys can find in them. If you can, if you can get that point across, okay, I need you now. But if you just push the whole time of the whole hunt, when it comes time to do it, they're just going to think you're crying wolf again. And, and they're, it's just not going to be in the tank for them to do. Right. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't know, stay positive if you're a hunter and, and just try to enjoy the little things. And I mean, you don't have to suck hold to your guide or anything like that, but you can, you can definitely make it more enjoyable for yourself and the guide and just, just have a good time, almost like you're hunting with a buddy and they will work so hard for you. Um, you know, there's the majority of guides in the industry are pretty darn good and they'll do anything to get you the animal. Yeah, this is a bit of kind of a goofy question to start wrapping things up here. Um, it's going to put you in a, a little different spot. Is like, if you were a client going on a hunt, are there like a few questions you would make sure to ask? Or like, there are really no questions that should be off limits to ask your outfitter or your guy. Yeah, and there isn't any questions. I mean, that's this is the profession we picked, right? Like, it's sometimes hard when you're getting bombarded with, with questions. Um, and sometimes it's like, well, did you read the contract or, you know, you're, tr you're trying, you're busy, right? It's, it's sometimes hard to, to answer the same ones over and over again. And, and sometimes the guys are just so darn excited. They will ask the same question over and over again and they'll phone and they'll, they'll maybe want to tell you about, you know, their hunting and their stories and stuff, because I'm learning that too, as much as anything, like these, lots of these clients that are booking hunts, they're, they're booking this for the experience and, and almost like the the memories that the, and the new friendships they'll get. Right. So it's, 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 sometimes it's a little bit hard to get back all the time, but 
I mean, there is no questions off limits. I always urge people just, just phone me. If I'm not around, I'll leave a message or leave a message and I'll get back to you when I can or whatever. But um, yeah, like if, if ever in doubt, ask. And oh, as far as the questions I'd ask on the hunt, oh man. Um, number one is like what recommendations for gear. I mean, everybody already asked that, but that's, that's probably it. And after that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask too much. You know, you can talk about, we talked about being in shape and stuff like what kind of shape you expect me to be in. But again, you know, just, just do what you can to get in the best shape you can possibly get in without killing yourself leading up to it. Don't put too much pressure on it. And then just, um, just try to be mentally tough and, and, and the guide will definitely adapt to you. Um, I don't know what questions I would ask. Yeah. Other than that, I, I honestly, I I've done this for so long. I get so many questions, but, and, but I, it's hard for, for me to answer that too. I grew up hunting in the, you know, doing these backcountry hunts and stuff like that. So, you know, the, the one guided hunt I've been on in my life, I was, pretty prepared i went and i videoed it and took my dad up to alaska or whatever and went with an outfitter but there wasn't a lot of questions to ask i was already guiding by then i just knew i had to go prepared and um maybe maybe just ask ask the guy kind of put him and put him on the spot like you did here but um ask him what what they expect of you as the hunter yeah i think that that like i think that's big because that plays into any hunt and uh I mean, more so with your guys is as far as what you need to be in like physical condition, but like even here, like I'm really trying to push, like be mentally strong and just like hunt every day. Like it's a new day. Cause especially like we're booking these hunts two years plus in advance, mm-hmm. like just picking a set of dates. Like we don't know what the weather's going to be, but it's our job to like adapt to the weather and try to make it the best you know, time that you can have, but gosh, there's just, there's just some things that we can't control. And I think like a really negative attitude towards it, it just makes it miserable for everybody. It does. And, and your chances go down when it's like that. And, and I'm sorry, I wish we could guarantee stuff, but that's not what people like you and me are selling. And we just can't like, of course, do we wish we could get an animal every time? And, and everybody could go home with a 50 inch bull moose or, you know, full curl ram or whatever, you know, six point bull elk, whatever we're hunting. Of course, we wish we could have chances every day and, and stuff like that. But if, if that's what you're really after is that easy guaranteed hunt, you have to book a high fence hunt somewhere. That's the only way that works. We're not selling high fence hunts. Um, they don't mean as much for a reason. So you really got to be careful with your expectations just because you're buying a hunt does not mean that you're going to have a great hunt or you're going to have, um, have success. That being said, if it's a good outfitter, they're going to do everything they can to try to make that happen. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, like trust your talk to people, you know, ask for references, I guess. And I know for me, I like to put a, that, you know, I have that little Vimo channel or whatever, and I like to send links to videos. So at least guys can put a face to the name. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't really lie too much. I, I said a little bit, we can make it sound, you know, the videos, obviously just most exciting parts are, are filmed for the most part, but at least, you know, the animals are there really check out the website, you know, the good pictures and stuff typically don't lie, especially if they have, you know, year after year of, you know, big moose or whatever, whatever you're looking for. Um, but yeah, like, and, and, and then also there's always going to be, you know, 
I'd say when the reviews come, it's like any business, there's going to be a few people you just can't keep happy. And there's going to be the odd little bad review. Not everything's going to be perfect. You know, um, be careful of the outfitters that say they are perfect or, or, um, you know, where there isn't, maybe isn't bad reviews. You know, you hear of the odd evil, evil guys getting you're the evil outfitters out there that aren't really outfitters and people get ripped off. But I mean, for the most part, if, if someone's good, the, the vast majority of their references should be good. I would, that's actually a good question. I would probably ask for a reference of someone who didn't get an animal. Well, that's a good one. Yeah. Like that's probably something thinking about this now that I would ask for. I want to talk to somebody who wasn't successful. I want to see what the other stuff is like on the hunt. Was it okay? You know, and, and, and then you got to think of how much you're paying. Like some, some guys, like I learned with me, you know, our, our food is good and, and stuff like that, but it's not, it's not like five-star chef food or anything like that. But I talked to a lot of my money. hunters. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'd rather keep the guys to be like, is this, is this food okay? Or is or, or do you want fancier? Because if we, every time you do something fancier, you got to step up the price to make up for that. Yeah. So you got to really weigh that. And, you know, you talk to the people, well, yeah, I could get more cooks in and, and stuff. And the majority of my guys are like, no, we like it. We like the working class price. That's the niche I found, especially on the Alberta side, right. It's to stay in that, in kind of that working class, kind of the top echelon of that because our success rate was really high and, and we're, we're getting awesome moose and stuff, but I can't, you can only give so much for the price. You can, if, if, if guys want more, like they can pay more and, and you can give it to them, but you have to be able to, you know, it's, it's no different than any business. You really have to weigh what the majority of your customers that you're trying to find want out of the adventure. And then you can, you know, your price should reflect that, not, uh, so, so, so as, as someone who's booking, I kind of got to think of all that stuff, right? Like, what am I getting out of this? And, and, uh, and, and all that, you know? Yeah, I definitely think coming, you know, coming with a mindset that it's going to be hard. Like every hunt's hard. It doesn't matter what it is. It's not just like rolling out and shooting something right away, even though sometimes it happens. Um, but I like to treat it more as like a, an experience and like an adventure, I think mm-hmm. going with that mindset can be can be a little better for you. Yeah, and and just learning too, you know, like make it make it, again try to make it as easy as you can when you're there, so you do have time to enjoy it. Like practice your backpack packing, even something simple as packing it. Find what works best for you. I know I'm I'm different than most people. You know how I pack my backpack. Maybe I I but over years, you know, just little things like that. Get your boots, get them broken in find clothes, you know, figure out your layering system that you're going to want to take like up here. That's one thing I tell people lots of, you know, bring lots of layers because we don't, some days we wake up and it's, it's 20 degrees and some days it's below zero, you know, like it's below freezing. So, and then it's raining or it's super hot or it's windy or, you know, you need that kind of that, that layering and, and stuff like that, like kind of practice that at home and get used to it and get organized in your backpack. So everything's a little quicker to get to and a little easier. And, um, you know, it doesn't take a lot of effort to learn that, but that little bit of effort goes a long ways just to make your trip more enjoyable and, and stuff like that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Be as efficient as you can, but, but don't, don't get away from, you know, don't, don't be so efficient that you're getting away from maybe comfort and warmth totally. And, and remember you're on a guide hunt, talk to your guides. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, 
So what, what do you guys have for, I guess, openings? Are you, you're pretty full or what's, uh, I guess, what's the outlook looking like? Um, as of right now, we're, we're fairly full this year on BC. I got a couple spots in Alberta. We're kind of waiting to see what happens. There's a little bit of, uh, some BC government stuff going on right now. So we're kind of waiting on the moose front to see what happens there before I push them really hard. But I definitely have some openings for, for, um, rut and my late season moose. Um, um, this spring it's, it's happening pretty quick. We got, uh, we got some openings for bears. If, if guys want, um, we ended up just pushing lots of people to next year. We had a pretty full spring, but we pushed a bunch some of those people were from Europe and stuff. And with COVID they wanted to wait one more year. So we just kind of pushed them over to the next year. Um, so yeah, we have that, uh, I think elk were, yeah, elk are fairly full, but there might be, a, there's a spot or two left and we always get some cancellations. Um, goat, we were, we were booked full so far um, for this year, um, but there's definitely openings next year. And again, it doesn't hurt to call and, and see what we have guys. The world's a funny place right now when it comes to booking hunts, guys are back and out and there's some short notice deals available sometimes. Um, but yeah, like the main thing is I think we got this moose for this fall left open nice which is kind of our you know our other hunts are great and everything but moose is kind of what's built built our business over the years yeah it's yeah. it's kind of what we have in my opinion i put it up against anywhere as far as um you know when you combine everything you, you combine um success rate you know trophy quality and uh you know ease of getting to to grand prairie and 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 uh you know the, the overall cost is actually very very um very very competitive considering we don't have to you know fly in and and all that stuff our overhead can be you know kept down just a little bit which you know reflects our prices yep yeah for sure uh, and, and we yeah. you know i shot my bear with you yeah and that was a that's a hell of a fun hunt especially for like you know maybe a few buddies to go up and make a vacation out of it but see a lot of bears yeah, like I, I would actually recommend that if if someone's looking for a bear hunt, give us a try. They're, the prices are low this year. We're actually just getting going. We're, it's a little bit different than when you were up here. Um, we're doing them all on the BC side now. Okay. And there seems to be more there. There's a lot of country to hunt, and we then we can hunt right out of our main lodge, which is awesome. So you know, like we have all the amenities of home there. It's it's got running water. Everybody gets private cabins. Like there's a lake to fish in. There's um, it's just, it's, you know, there's, there's, uh, we can watch, you know, sports games at night and stuff. Like it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's got a bar and stuff right there. So in, in the cookhouse and yeah, it's, it's a pretty comfortable and relaxing place. It's great for groups. And actually we're just getting into this year. There'll be the first year we run a little bit of hounds. So that's pretty fun. We've got our, our hound guy from, uh, that, that I do the cougar hunts and the lynx hunts with. So he's going to bring his dogs in a little bit this spring and uh we're gonna try to get some of that on video and and just have a little bit of fun there make it a really good relaxing group and i might take a couple saddle horses out there so we can ride some pipelines and some cut walks and stuff like that just just to change it up a little bit right so we don't do any baiting there but um so lots of spot and stock and you know just uh, not the typical drive around till you see one necessarily or sit all day in glass we're gonna try to shake it up a little bit and try to provide some sort of a new experience some you know, or maybe one day you go with the dogs another day, maybe if someone wants to go for a horse ride, we can do that. Or maybe throw in a riverboat, one of the rivers and cruise up and look at the open slopes and, you know, just try to make it uh, more of a Northern adventure than just a, just a spring bear hunt. 
Super hot, man. That's awesome. Yeah, it should be good. You know, it was a really good one for, I always try to urge young people too. Like if, if someone wants to bring their kids or something, it's a really fun, like low pressure um, hunt where you see lots of bears and we got some monster bears up there, which is pretty awesome too. And, and to me personally, I, I prefer getting on the ground with them like that rather than sitting on a, on a bait, you know, fighting the bugs and the smell and everything like that. It's just, just my way of looking at it. And as far as I'm concerned, we got, you know, instead of one bait site, we got 10,000 miles of bait with all that fresh green grass. It's coming up on the sides of the oil field roads and the, the pipelines and, and the cut blocks and everything up here. Yeah. Yeah. It was a blast when we were up there. It was a hell of a blast. Yeah, I actually watched that video the other day. <laughs> I need watching to watch it, man. Yeah, it was funny when that bear was scratching himself. But yeah, I um, yeah, got getting a few of those things up there too, and that's always a good way if you're if you're curious about us personally. Is just go to the if you go to the website um, compassmountainoutfitters.com or mountainmountadventures.com. It's a it's the same website, just the either name works, and there's a link to her to the Vimo channel and some videos. A person can kind of get to know us a little bit and. Obviously, there's lots of pictures on the website and everything like that. If they're ever interested in looking for some sort of a northern hunt. Heck yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, sweet. Well, that's all I had for you. 